KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. We'll be chatting to Dennis Drennan about a headline that caught my eye about the alleged level of dangerous drinking in the farming community very shortly. Later in the show, we'll be discussing the law around sales and pricing. And we'll be looking forward to chatting to Shona Hargon, who's coming in to talk about retirement. But before all of that, we're feeling generous and we still have a couple of tickets to give away for Ladies' Day, which is happening tomorrow. Loads of crack, loads of style will be had out there without a doubt. Yesterday's winner was Marion Delaney. Congrats to you. If you'd like a pair of tickets... All you have to do is text Ladies Day with your name and your details to 083 306 9696 in with the chance of having a great day out. Our own Eddie Hughes will be there. There'll be loads going on. So do text us in Ladies Day with your name and details. Now, as I said, we're joined on the line by Dennis Drennan. Dennis is the Deputy President of the ICMSA, the Irish Creamery and Milk Suppliers Association. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning to you all your listeners. Dennis, I don't know if you read the article, but the headline reads as follows. Almost one in three farmers are drinking at harmful levels. And I was really interested to get your reaction to that. Yeah, well, look, I think it, the, the, the emphasis was on farmers under 45 years of age, I think, was the, was the article. I read it myself. It's a very interesting article. But I suppose, look, it's part of the isolation maybe in rural Ireland. Like, we've no transport services. Most of rural services, pubs, shops, post offices have closed down. So there probably is an issue with uh, rural isolation that's, that's adding to this. So it's a huge problem in rural Ireland, I suppose. I think, yes, that is definitely fair to say. But I guess when I dug a little bit deeper into the article, it looked at what I suppose the reality behind the study was. It was a study that was done in um, DCU and it involved 351 Irish farmers. But if you get to the crux of it, Dennis, it is looking at 95% of farmers... Uh, sorry, it mentions drug use as well, which I'll get to in a second. But when you get to the disordered drinking side of things, it mentioned that it was highest in farmers engaged in full-time education. And I guess what I wondered was, is it another salacious and negative article geared towards farmers? Did did you have that reaction or not? Well, I'm so used to things being farmers being blamed for everything at the moment. I I, I probably didn't take notice of that aspect of it, but look at it. It's, a, it's a, probably a reflection of you know there's a certain a certain age demographic. People are in college. People are having a good time. Uh, do you know what I mean? Who who actually understands what's overuse of alcohol or overconsumption of alcohol or the legal or the recommended levels or or the not you know what what's what's binge drinking and what's not binge drinking? But I mean I I, I can't really understand why they just pick on the farming community. I, I presume if they don't on any other sector of community, they come up with pretty much the same results um, when it comes to people who are attending college or young people in general. Because we all went through that stage in our life when we get out and enjoy life and. Uh, you know, maybe we overindulge at times and it's probably a reflection of that. Well, funny you say that because actually they wouldn't come up with quite the same results because far, far into the article it says, however, when compared to other groups, farmers' alcohol consumption was less disordered. So that's why I really was struck by the the title and how the, the article didn't really uh, follow on from, from what I was expecting to read. But to come back for a second, Dennis, to you mentioned you feel you're being blamed for everything. What are the main things... Uh, probably the obvious, I suppose, being the environmental ones. But what do you think farmers are being blamed for? 
Well, sure. I suppose the the whole global the the the, the whole climate change catastrophe that's going on and the, the, that's going on at the moment. Like, I mean, everybody seems to want to continue to drive their cars wherever they want to go and travel on their foreign holidays and go everywhere. And farmers are included in that. We we we, we use our cars probably excessively and we we travel on our holidays probably excessively. But yet we seem to want to blame, blame the innocent cow for for everything that goes on out there. But um. I think, look, we're part of the problem, we're going to have to be part of the solution, but each and every one of us is also going to have to look at, at what we do in our daily lives and where we go on holidays and city breaks and, you know, travelling, we'll say, fast distance maybe to pick up the paper or a pint of milk or a litre of milk or whatever. So, you know, I think we all we all have to be, we're all part of the problem, we all have to be part of the solution, but at the moment it's very, very um, popular to, um, it, it, it seems very popular to to blame the farmer and the cow it seems to be the easy get out clause for everybody to continue living their lives as they are and how do you see farmers being part of the solution well i think if you look at the mac curve that's been introduced by chagas like um we're on this third cycle of the mac curve as technology is is being introduced farmers are embracing that technology and putting it to good use with low emission story spreading with um protected urea instead of other forms of, of urea which using clover and multi-species swarts to reduce the nitrous oxide oxide emissions from from fertilizer use you know so any technology that's been introduced i mean there's a huge study going on up in grange now with feed additives to reduce the methane emissions from cows and farmers are very interested in that um so look i suppose it, it, this has only become an issue probably in the last five or six years i mean you know 10 20 years ago when the economy was trouble in trouble the government told farmers to drive on and drive expansion as fast as they could and to it was the the biggest domestic uh, export that we had in the country and the government in, in, encouraged us to grow as fast as we could and to increase output as fast as we could and now we're told to do a complete u-turn and go the opposite direction and to reduce output and to reduce emissions and reduce everything so you know we it's have confusing. to realize the technology well, it's 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 we're being driven in a different direction completely now, and it's going to take time. It's like a, a train on a on a track; it, you can't stop and turn it around immediately. It's going to take time, but farmers are more than willing to play their part in that. But I think the rest of society maybe needs to catch up and uh, do their bit as well. Which is a fair point. I, I know our own Matt O'Keefe, obviously, on a Thursday evening at seven, details far better than I ever could the concerns and the issues that are, are in the agricultural sector for farmers. But I suppose the expansion you mentioned, Dennis, for the ordinary person listening in this morning, I think the National Dairy Herd rose from 1 million in 2010 to 1.6 this year. And the recent expose, if you like, of the livestock trade was quite concerning for someone watching that maybe might not have inside knowledge. I grew up on a farm and the difference between what I experienced and what was reported was really startling. Well, I, I suppose to go back to your first figure there, the increase from 1 million to 1.5 million, uh, that's, dairy cow, that's dairy cows in the country. And I suppose we've had 30 years of milk quota where the, the number of dairy cows in the country was stagnant. But overall, the number of bovine animals in the country, the number of cows, cattle and, and, and calves in the country is, is somewhere around 7 million and has been at that figure for probably the last 50 years. So whereas there's been a, a probably a change from maybe from dairy or from dairy cows to sucklers, while the quota restricted the expansion of the dairy industry, we now have a rebalancing of that, and people who wanted to get into dairy and maybe for the last thirty years and who weren't pre two thousand and fifteen allowed to get into dairy cows, 
may have switched their operations and gone from sucklers into dairy cows and maybe some people who had, you know, with advances in the, in, in the growing methods of grass and the varieties of grass and the ability to grow grass on farms, farmers found themselves in a, in a situation that they were able to grow more grass than they were able to eat, the, the number of cows they had to eat the grass, so people expanded to a certain extent. And we were drove by government policy on food harvest 2020, etc., to do that. Um, so, but but then the herd as a as a herd, uh, as as I said, including all cattle and calves and cows and suckler cows and dairy cows and the whole lot, were pretty stable at around seven million animals in the country, which would be very small considering that Holland is about the size of Munster and would have more more animals than we have. Not so we're same. not. Sorry, Dennis, for cutting across you, but Sorry. notwithstanding that stability in that figure, the major piece that came out of of the the prime time program was that bull calves have very little value. To ask you, as like, is it really a problem? Is that the reality for most farmers? Do you feel a bit overwhelmed? Do you feel the department are doing enough to support that? If it is a problem, perhaps you just give us a well, comment. Yeah, I suppose to talk in my own situation, my own situation, all the animals, all the calves born on my own farm are sold locally. Like I rear the calves to 12 weeks of age for a local farmer and he's more than happy to buy them for me. Uh, the calves that were in question on the lorries going to, going to France and Spain, and, or sorry, to Spain and, and, and the Netherlands, they're highly sought after calves in those countries. And there's rules and regulations in, in place as to the handling of those calves and how they're transported and the rest periods and the, the length of time they're allowed to be stay in the lorry. Now, unfortunately, what we saw in that programme was very... It was shocking and disappointing from 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 my point of view as a farmer because the rules and regulations are in place to make sure that those animals are treated with dignity and respect as they're transported to to a market that is, is highly sought after in those markets. Like we've travelled to to the Netherlands to meet the the, the 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 veal farms over there, and they would tell you that calves from Ireland who are travelling maybe twenty four hours or t- thirty hours often arrive in better condition and in better health, far better health than calves travelling for three or four, for three or four hours up the road, maybe from Germany to, to them. But what was very disappointing is that, the, you know, the rules and regulations are in place as to how those calves are treated on that journey, and they were uh, completely ignored by a small few individuals on that journey, and that's not acceptable. And the department need to come down with the full rigours of the law against those people who treated those calves in that manner and didn't give the calves the proper a rest period in the layerage and a pro- proper stopping time as they travelled across to, to their destination. And would you be confident, Dennis, I know you can't speak for every farmer in the country, obviously, but would you be confident that it is a small number of people that we're talking about that don't, that mistreat, that let bull calves go without caring for them the way that you'd like them to be? You don't think that's... Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's a very, it's a very, it's a minority. I mean, most most farmers, like I know, like I don't get up at three o'clock in the morning and decide whether it's a bull calf or a heifer calf, whether I'm going to stay up and look after the calf, whether if a cow is calving and needs assistance at three o'clock in the morning, I get up and help her, help the calf, and make sure that they get their proper colostrum and they're looked after properly before I go back to bed. Um, I don't, I don't go up and say, oh look, this is just a bull calf, so I'm, I'm, I'm back to bed. I mean. I'd say 99.9% of farmers get up look after their calves regardless of the sex or the breed or the value of the calf it's that's why we're we're farmers we're not we're, we look after animals we're we're not here to to abuse them or to mistreat them okay Dennis can I ask you about your own you've been a farmer now for a number of years has have things changed in a way that you're happy with do you still enjoy it uh, farming is becoming very complicated with the amount of rules and regulations that are coming on at the moment. Like, I mean, I suppose, as I said to somebody the other day, like 20 years ago, you went out and done your day's work and you went in and you relaxed and eating and you had your day's work done and you felt satisfied. 
uh, t- 10 years ago then you had to go out and do your day's work and then you had to come in and fill out all the paperwork that was associated with doing that work and the rules and reporting on the rules and regulations and how you abide them. Now we're probably getting to a situation that before you go out in the morning you have to look up the rules and regulations and, and figure out what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do, then do, go do your day's work and then fill in all the paperwork associated with doing that work. So it's probably a very different. It's gone from being, a, 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 I suppose, a physical, a manual, hard work, hard day's work to now there's a huge amount of paperwork and rules and regulations that have to be abided by. And do you so think there's enough support around around being capable of doing that, doing the admin? Pro- Probably not. Like I mean, I think the, the demographics of farming. Like I mean, if you look at the average age of a farmer in the country, it's about fifty-eight or fifty-nine, somewhere around there. And the level of education that would have been received by a lot of those farmers in in previous times. Okay, at the moment we've highly educated young farmers coming out of maybe college or high college, and you know they're they're well up on the rules and regulations and the paperwork and online. Everything has gone online, but people forget that you know even a lot of a lot of rural Ireland doesn't even have broadband at the moment, and people are depending on you know, maybe travelling to a local hall or community centre to use broadband and haven't been grown up and haven't been given training in those yet. The department are insisting on everything becoming online. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be taught about that. Not everybody is, is, is comfortable with computers and internet and filling forms online and, and, and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of older farmers are being left behind, I feel. Do you think, see, massive expansion has obviously happened since 2005. Is it a more attractive lifestyle or a more attractive profession now than it was when you started, Dennis, do you think? Um, certain elements of it are. I mean, it's probably getting to the stage that the, the consumer is not willing for, to pay for the product. Like, I mean, if you look at the price of milk, okay, last year was an exceptional uh, year on the price of milk, but the price of milk is now heading in a direction where back to the price it was probably 40 years ago. So the difference that has been in the last 20 years, I suppose, is farmers have expanded but expanding and working harder to stand still as regards their income from the farm. And it's probably getting getting to a stage that we cannot expand further because, uh, you know, if you get into a situation that you need labour on your farm, uh, labour is very expensive. As every sector knows at the moment, every sector is struggling to get employees and there's no difference in farming. The, the number of employees are not out there. So we're probably heading for a, an unusual situation that, you know, farmers may not be viable at the size they're at, Yet, if they want to increase their size, they'll have to employ labour, and that will make them unviable as well. So, it's, it, we're getting into a tricky point at the moment with uh, the cost of labour and the availability of labour. And I think the, the twelve-week period, the, the calving period, the, the labour just isn't there. I gather from people that I've spoken to. No, absolutely not. Like, I mean, it's at the stage now that look at everybody's in the same position. Everybody has mortgages and loans and commitments to make with kids in college or whatever it may be car loans or whatever so some everybody wants a full-time job so if somebody is available for work you either employ them for 52 weeks of the year and give them their holiday benefits and their bank holidays off and give them a full-time job uh, or, or you don't get them at all so i mean the, the the imbalance of a workload on the farm is probably especially in dairy farming it's probably very difficult to manage once you go beyond a certain stage and as i said you know getting somebody for 12 weeks in the springtime is not really an option you either employ somebody full-time or you don't get them at all. So that's what's making the thing tricky. That we've probably a lot of farms have probably got to the maximum level that they can manage on their own, and the next step is to take on that labour unit. But uh, that labour unit is very expensive, and uh, it's a big jump from a one-person operation to a two-person operation. Dennis, do you ever get the feeling this is this is changing? It's too hard. I'm going to find myself another way to to earn a few quid. 
Well, there's a certain amount of people that are, are looking at that like that. I mean, it is, it's, it's a very difficult life, life, uh, lifestyle, I suppose, and there's a lot of pressures on at certain times of the year. And as I said, it has changed now from just being manual labour to being, I suppose, there's a huge amount of technology involved in it. Now there's a huge amount of paperwork and reporting involved in it. And I think, that, like, OK, there's a generation there at the moment that, that will continue to, to embrace all that and, and stay involved in the farming. But I think uh, the next generation, there may be less and less. And I suppose that's reflected in the figures of... The number of farmers under 35 is very small. There's far more farmers over 70 than there is under 35. So it is uncertain, an uncertain future, I guess. Dennis, it was great to chat with you. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us this morning. Positive Pets on KCLR Live. With thanks to Oaklawn's Veterinary Surgery, offering top quality care for your pets in Carlow and surrounding counties for over 25 years. Oaklawnsvets.ie some of you are ahead of the game this morning, sending in some fabulous pictures of your pooches. The search for Carlo and Kilkenny's most positive pet continues. So if you want to put your little pooch on our website and possibly win yourselves 50 euro in an all-for-one all rather voucher with thanks to Oaklawn, send us in your pictures 083 306 9696. Now, I read during the week that Kevin O'Brien of the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission was warning retailers that they face fines of up to €5,000 for using fake discounts in sales. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Duran Sweeney, who is Head of Communications with the same organisation. Good morning, Duran. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning on a sunny Friday. <laughs> it's a lovely. It's great to see the sun on this, oh, on this lovely day. Hopefully it stays with us, Duran. Yes. For the weekend, it would be ideal. None of that rain. <laughs> yes. Ho- hopefully. Fingers crossed. Uh, Duran, I, I was really interested to read this because I thought, I wonder, do we know the law around sales pricing discounts? And I, and I hope that you might just remind us what the law says retailers can and can't do. Yeah, absolutely. It's particularly pertinent because it's the new law. So before, it's always been um, against the law to mislead consumers. But the law didn't specify when it comes to sale offers, you know, about reduced prices and what claims you could make and how long, you know, when it's comparing one price against another, how long did the previous price have to be there for? And, And we were hearing a lot about consumers who are complaining that, you know, um, shops are hiking up prices before sale, then bringing it back down to the original price and then saying 50% off when it came to, to sale days. So new laws came in at the end of last year and they're called the Price Indication Regulations. And they're very simple and very straightforward, but they're mighty. So they require that um, a retailer must base a discount on the lowest price an item was for sale in the previous 30 days. Not the highest price, the lowest price. And they must show, when they have an, an advertisement for an offer, they must show what that lowest price was. So it's really good, strong information for consumers. So let's say an item goes from, throughout the course of a sale, if it goes from €100 Euro down to 95 and then down to 50 is it OK for the retailer to show that trajectory where the price has gone? Is that OK? Uh, it is, yes, but I suppose it comes down to when they say 30% or 10% discount. So to be specific, so if a coat is usually for sale for €70, Euro, um, the retailer cannot raise the price to €100 Euro for a couple of days, then drop it back down to €70 Euro and claim that it's a 30% discount. It's, a, it's around that percentage claim, because obviously it isn't a 30% discount. It was €70 Euro for most of the time. So now what they'd have to do is show, take the discount from €70 Euro and show that €70 Euro was the lowest price it was in the previous 30 days. So you, as a consumer, can see what was the last, the lowest price in the last 30 days. 
But Darren, what I wonder about there is if it's only the percentage discount that's been regulated, because what I have seen a lot in retail outlets is what I've described there, an alleged price jumping, let's say if it's a couch or a sofa or something. So you're going from 600 down to 400, down to 300. And if I've been in the market and I've been looking at that item, I know full well it was never 600. That's what I've seen. And what I'm understanding is that this law will still allow that to happen as long as the percentage isn't false? No, I mean, they shouldn't, so they, like, it, you shouldn't be misled, so they shouldn't be indicating and saying this price was previously 600. This law very specifically does call out that, but generally traders shouldn't, anyway, under consumer protection law, shouldn't be misleading you. So if it was never 600 euro, that would be a misleading commercial practice um, to kind of claim it was something that it wasn't. So that is there, that, those principles are there. There's these additional ones which, which call out very specifically um, the, the, the percentage discount as well, in addition to those. So it still shouldn't be the case. And if, it's, if uh, consumers are seeing that where a business is claiming, you know, that it was like 100 euro and it's now 300, we would love to hear from them um, and we'd ask them to contact us. So is that how that works? If I, as a consumer, see some what I would consider uh, dishonest pricing, I contact you? Is that the way... Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. So we have a helpline, um, which is 01402-5555. On a website, we have a really easy form on a website that's called Report a Business on ccpc.ie. So what you can do is you can come to us and we can, we'll take the information if it's something that is, could be a breach of the law, like misleading you. But also equally if you're having a problem, so if you're having something that's faulty or you're having an issue with a service, we also give information about your rights. So we'll help you in two, on two counts as well too. But absolutely, if, if a consumer feels like they've been misled in any context, we of course definitely want to hear from them. And then you would address the, the complaint or the problem directly with the retailer. Is that how it works? Yeah, so we don't do it individually, so we won't be taking a case on the consumers. What we do is we take the information, put it together. We usually hear from many consumers if there is an issue, and then we look to see what legislation. It could be a, um, breaking the law and then apply. We have enforcement tools, so it's everything from a, a legal notice up to fine to prosecution. So we have a range of, of powers that we can t- to, to prevent harmful business practices. But the starting point is always hearing from consumers consumer can hear what's actually happening we do our own market surveillance and, and we issued this this warning on the back of that market surveillance so we go out into stores we look at whether there's price displays and what whether the prices are correct are they beside the products we'll be looking at these now as well too and we also do online monitoring so there's a lot of monitoring in addition but we definitely would love to hear from consumers Okay. I gather from what Kevin O'Brien said that the law it was introduced, you've been engaging with retailers to ensure that they're informed of what, what the correct practice is. But now yeah. you're moving into the enforcement age of the legislation. Absolutely. And particularly, as we know, I dare I say the word Christmas in July, but as we're moving towards busy shopping day, year, or days, and probably more so than ever this year, I think people need their money. They need to know their money is working as hard as it can and that they're availing of an offer that is genuinely an offer and, and the price is the price. So we will be very much, we, we are already ongoing monitoring and we'll be setting up that monitoring and we will be taking enforcement action. The other point is just to say as well too, as I'm sure you have listeners who are small businesses, is that businesses shouldn't, I mean, if you legitimately offer a price and an offer, you shouldn't be disadvantaged and losing business to somebody that's not complying with the law and following the rules. So weekly business can contact us to let us know um, and to give us information if they can, to, if, if they know somebody that is doing this as well too. So it's important to know that as well. 
super. And we had Derek Astley actually from Bonkers.ie on during the week and he was talking about the promotion and how clever some retailers can be. I, I think it's it's worth noting they're in that we really are quite susceptible to clever manipulative marketing. Oh, without a doubt. And it keeps, I suppose, it keeps on growing, and particularly with the internet, and it keeps on changing and trying to keep up with it. And I suppose before these laws, and I, 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 under, I understand your, your concern in terms of the general price, but before these laws, um, you were aligned as a consumer to go to look at the offer to say, is this a good offer? Okay, I'm going to compare with several different other ones and hope that every, you know, you, you, were, you were getting good deals. This puts a big onus now on businesses to make sure they're not you know, misleading you. So, But yes, it is, it is always hard to, to, for a consumer um, to keep up and that's what the importance of these, these laws are. Therein, would you remind us of mm. our entitlements or our rights as consumers under sales? As I understand it, they're exactly the same as any other type of purchase that we make, sale or not. Absolutely. So, absolutely, hundred um, percent. It should be the same. The one area we, we probably there would be a bit of confusion is whether if you buy something in store, whether you're entitled to return it if you change your mind. That actually, by law, if you buy in store, by law, it, you're, the business is not required. So that's down to their terms and conditions and whether they're prepared to accept uh, um, returns. Now, when it comes to sale periods, often you might see a business might say, "No, we don't accept it." And they, they can do that, provided they tell you before you buy. Now, it's a totally different story online. If you buy online, it doesn't matter what's happening. You're entitled to 14 days to make up your mind and 14 days to return the return your purchase. The last thing is if you buy something during the sale and it's not up to standard and it's faulty, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter that it was on sale. You have the full rights that you would have if you paid the full amount and you're entitled to a repair, replacement or a refund. Unless it's been flagged by the shop in advance... Exactly, unless it's been flagged and you're aware of it beforehand. Okay. Well, there's lots to think about, isn't it? And I suppose, as ever, we would say buyer beware, caveat emptor is important. Nonetheless, it is super to have the benefit of an organisation of yours, such as yours, to help us out and to make sure that we're not being hoodwinked. So, Dirin, thank you so much for your time and your information this morning. Carlo Kilkenny, KCLR. Welcome back. Now, earlier in the week, we came across an interesting article looking at imminent retirement, fractured family relationships and a fear as to how being at home for prolonged periods of time after giving up work could impact somebody. Delighted to be joined in studio by Sean O'Hargon, recent retiree. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Una. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming in to us. Good, good, good. You're a water of a man. I'm a Waterville man originally, I saw a little bit excited this weekend. I'd say you were, we might, yeah, we might get on to that. we get on to that in a minute, yeah, yeah, I know, and I'm from Waterville, from, from the sea, so as I said, obviously about Kilkenny is the most wonderful place to live, if I could just move the Atlantic to Callan, everything would be It would perfect. be super, you know, yeah. I went to college with a lovely friend from Waterville, and I had never been to, to Waterville before her wedding, yeah. and when I went there I thought, how could you leave this beautiful place, but Kilkenny is a decent swapping. Eh? Well, you see, you, you leave the place when you have a Kilkenny wife. Oh, the, you're dragged out of there. Who's who's had enough of uh, of uh, wet February mornings, as she said? When uh, at the time we decided to leave, she woke up. Uh, in the middle of the winter and she said listen it's been raining here for three months now I've had enough so anyway it's I know, but it's, it's, it's a fabulous and it's great to have the best of both worlds and be able to get there it's, it's a long journey if only, if only it was a little bit shorter it would be, it would great, be great and the home of uh, uh, the late Mick Dwyer of course the, the great Mick Dwyer yeah yeah and, and the second uh, home of Charlie Chaplin second home of Charlie Chaplin and I was very sad during the week because both Marion and I 
were very friendly with Josephine Chaplin, his daughter, who very sadly passed away during the week. And uh, Josephine, it's a funny story because my wife, um, we had, we had a, 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 a thinking session with maybe a bit of alcohol involved in our house when the village maybe was at a low ebb in, in the 90s and we were both involved in community development. And she, of course, having the outside eye, said, you're not making enough of Charlie Chaplin around here. And literally that night she said, if you can get money off the chaplains, uh, then we can get money from the leader fund in South Kerry, as it was at the time. Uh, and we put a statue up and I walked on to Josephine the following day. She talked to the family in Paris over the following couple of months and half the price of the statue came from the Chaplin family. And it's now probably one of the most photographed statues in Ireland because it's right on the main street and we're the only village on the sea in the Ring of Kerry, which it took an American to tell us that. Uh, and, you know, it's been a huge success. And But Josephine, believe it or not, Josephine's son, who had been in a number of prestigious schools in France and had been maybe asked to leave, uh, did his leaving cert in the, in the vocational school in Waterville. Oh, really? Uh, Charlie Chaplin's grandson, Julian, yeah, That's who's a lovely guy who still comes and visits the place. So, so the statue yeah. was your wife's idea? The statue was my wife's idea, yeah. And, and you sound like a suitably proud husband, absolutely, might I say, Sean. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, Listen, yeah. we're here to talk retirement, so you retired last October. October that's okay. right, on the 3rd of October. Yeah, one of those dates you don't forget. Can and I take uh, you back to how yeah. you felt coming into the 3rd of October? Were you yeah. in any way nervous or was it just absolute excitement? I think maybe around this time last year, I got a. No, it was earlier in the year, maybe February, March of last year, I got a slight wobble. And I kind of said, you know, what am I going to do with myself and how is it going to go and all that. But I'd have to say my own union, and I'm always an advocate for people being involved in, in trade unions, uh, the INTO, have a fantastic lead into retirement because they organise. And I'd say this to anybody, you know, if, you don't, if you're not a member of a union, go find somebody else that does it. But they run excellent retirement planning seminars. And I attended one of those, I think, just before COVID um, in Dublin. And I was looking down the line, two years down the line. And that's what I would advise people to start thinking about it well ahead of it and do whatever you can to prepare and talk to lots of people. And one of the things that comforted me was I spoke to lots of teachers, lots of principals who had retired in the previous two or three years. And I didn't meet a single person who regretted having done it. And, you know, I think they all said that their lives were enhanced. They were better than they were when they were working. And, you know, I think that's a huge consideration. I suppose also on a more human level, my mom's health hasn't been great over the last number of years. And in particular, over the last 12 months, very shortly after I retired in December, um, you know, she became ill and she's been hospitalized since. So that was also a factor. Um, and feeling that as my parents moved into their 80s, I wanted to see a bit more of them and, you know, it gave me more. I knew I'd have more opportunity to, to do, do that. so. And I'm sorry yeah. to hear your mom has not yeah, been well. Yeah, yeah. Sean, that's life, so as they say. Unfortunately, unfortunately it is. Yeah. So February, you had a little bit of a wobble, but you ploughed on and you headed toward retirement. I guess you were, of course, for anyone that, that doesn't know, you were the principal of the Gale School here in Kilkenny. Yeah, so there right. would be a certain amount of authority and status and... <laughs> huge meaning to that because you're so busy so in anticipation of not having all of that how did you feel did you feel what am I going to do with myself how will I fill my days well I suppose no is, is the honest answer to that um, you know I, I I think I thought about it for a long time you know we have a very good scheme in, in primary teaching we can go after 34 35 year service and 
I had kind of decided from a good way out that as soon as I, I could retire, I probably would. Because, I, you know, we've all seen people go on to 65, go on to 66, 67, and now people can go on even later and, you know, become ill maybe. Some people are very lucky, very fortunate, and, you know, I, I remember one, I, I give, him, give him a mention here, uh, uh, the, the wonderful Muntor Lauras, as we had, who was still coming into our school and doing sub work when we needed him in his 70s, and um, uh, uh, Larry Hamilton out in, in, in uh, Gatabon, who was just a phenomenal teacher and would have continued and continued to work and equally my predecessor Michal Martin, to this day after 25 years as principal of the Grail School at this, to this day up to his Carroll score to his, his 80th birthday he's still working away and working with students and teaching you know and, and doing lots of things that he loves doing so I mean I knew I wasn't going to be bored I knew that I had, thankfully have lots of interests I suppose I did have a particular focus and I kind of decided it deliberately one of the things I had decided to do was the Boston Marathon which was a long uh, a long standing itch I, ha- I had failed to finish it the only race that I failed to finish in my life I got heat stroke um, during the race back in 2012 and I was absolutely determined to do that so I was do- I had that in the calendar for this April and so I knew that I wanted to put in a really good training programme got involved with a coach uh, locally and set out a training plan for myself almost for eight, nine months. And that was the real aim. Focus. So, I mean, I was running five days a week. I'm still... B- and was a bit, that a b- new thing? Was that like no, you weren't in position to do that pre-retirement? No, I was very lucky in that. I, I, I've often, she'll kill me if she hears me saying it again. Um, but Irene Henry, who lots of people in Kilkenny will know, uh, who has encouraged more people to run than anybody I know on the planet, uh, got me involved in running in 2007. And that was just before I became appointed principal. And it's one of the pieces of advice I give to anybody who's becoming a principal teacher. If you can at all, take up running or take up swimming or take up yoga and have something to clear your head. Uh, So I had done 10 marathons before this one and it had been part of kind of the rhythm of my year. But this was a great opportunity to... And also, we tied it into a retirement holiday. So we had three great weeks in the States in April, May of this year. And that was out there as the as the aim all the time. In a the lovely four, focus. Are we allowed to ask your time, Sean? Is that rude? No, in, in the marathon Not circles? at all. I was very happy. I ran 4.02. Super. Um, and, you know, they say with Boston that you can kind of add 10 minutes at least to your normal personal best because it's a tough course. Um, but I loved every second of it. I have a very special connection with Boston because my grandmother was one of, of nine in West Kerry, eight of whom emigrated to Boston and my grandmother came home. So I suppose I have cousins, I have more cousins in Boston almost than I have in Ireland. And, you know, I, I did my student J1 summer there in the 80s. It's always had a, a big place in my, my heart, I suppose. Your regular so visitor. absolutely try and get there when we can. Sean, you've been busy without a doubt, but you know your day-to-day in hmm. retirement. What are the things you like? Is there anything, you sound like a very positive person, but is there anything that maybe didn't sit so well with you once you had finished teaching? Well, I suppose, you know, there is the social element of any job. So you're meeting you're meeting your, your colleagues 
on a daily basis. You know, in our case, ironically, one of the best things that happened about COVID is that most principals went out to the front gate of the school to greet kids when they came back to school and we were bumping elbows and we were fist pumping or we were doing whatever we did with the kids and it's maybe one of the regrets I'd have is that I didn't do that all the way through my te- my my principal's career but that really added to the last couple of years because you know you had a, a nicer relationship with kids and with parents and you know you you know in a big school that's it's hard to do it's hard to know everybody it's hard to know exactly what's going on with everybody but that gave a really insight so that you didn't miss that buzz with the kids and the teachers but to be honest I had done it for a long time and I was ready I mean one of the things you have to you find you have to do with two dogs which is great and the great thing about dogs is dogs make you walk so um, I got to take them out every day and it's important to do that in a social kind of way and you know to get out of the house and go downtown if you happen to be doing stuff at home that day and you're doing a lot of work at home I'm not particularly suited to being on my own I enjoy my own company and I read and I think and I do all those kind of things Uh, but you know I did find I had to say to myself you need to arrange to meet someone for a coffee or go downtown or walk the dogs and make sure that you're meeting people and that you're socialising as well Um, And how did the family how did your lovely wife feel about maybe seeing you more often than she was used to how was that transition? Well I think most people that know her know that she's even busier than I am so um, you know between she would have been into I retired four or five weeks before Saver Kilkenny and she did a break and we went away for a few days she was very clever and I would advise the spouse of anybody thinking about the partner of anybody thinking about retiring I finished at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon and at two o'clock in the morning we were standing outside the Glendine Inn getting a bus to the airport to go to Lisbon for a few days and that was fantastic because it took away the first day the Monday, the last thing I was thinking about on Monday morning was being at school. Uh, so, you know, that was a very clever way of doing it. But she's very busy. She's out and about a lot. And I got to be able to help her a little bit. I, she would say I should be helping her a little bit more with the work that she's doing. Uh, but we did some work uh, on, on stuff together as well. But definitely there's a lot more freedom uh, to be able to come and go. I suppose my, both our kids have grown up. Uh, our son is in, in town here and with his partner and, and about to add to the excitement of our lives by making us grandparents in the in the coming months, uh, please God. And our daughter uh, is in college in Cork and, and comes and goes. So, you know, they're not hanging around under my feet. And uh, I suppose the last term last year, Quillen was at home a bit and studying for her exams. And I was around the place. We didn't get too much in each other's way. Uh, but then we were gone again then for that trip. So that kind of helped as well. You kept a safe distance. Absolutely. And actually, just going back to something you mentioned there about being more in contact with the students, something I always notice with principals is they probably get into the job because they love teaching Mm. and then suddenly unless they're a teaching principal in a primary school which brings its own challenges no doubt they lose that contact which can be really challenging I think It is really challenging I mean I remember I got a a tip um, a, a few years back from a principal and they said you know when your school is big the place you should spend most time is with the incoming junior infants class because you get to know them you know them all the way through school and we were doing things like paired reading and shared reading etc so you know a lot of those things were were uh, were 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 a great advantage 
in in relation to getting to know the kids. But as I say, it is, and it, it is one of the things about moving into a principal's position is you do miss that day to day personal contact, one on one, or you know, thirty on one contact with kids, um, and you do get to know. I mean, uh, my last class actually that I taught back in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, was the fourth class in which my daughter was, which you know, which I did with a bit of trepidation, but it actually worked very well for the two of us, and we got to did know it? each other very well and um, you had to know that there were lines you couldn't cross and and discussions you couldn't have and you you know she didn't want to be in a position of telling you what was going on with the rest of the of class course. Uh, but you know it, it did work well but no I mean it's you know it, it, the principal's relationship is a very different one obviously you have a much more personal contact with your colleagues because you're dealing with them in good times and in bad times and you know you know getting through challenges together but also being able to celebrate great achievements as well that people had and you know I'm very proud of the time I spent as I said here before I'm a fourth generation teacher fifth generation teacher going back into the mid 1800s with a great great grandfather who was a, a head school teacher so you know it's in it's in the blood as they say Seville and um, you know I really enjoy doing it but I'm really enjoying it enjoying not having to do it and not having to be there the 1st of September or whatever day I don't even know what day they're going back but the first day of the first term of my first full year will be kind of different I did say you feel I, a little pang I did say on the, on the day of the summer holidays this year you know was the first time that I was and in a way you don't differentiate anymore between the rest of the year and the summer now the summer is kind of, you know my summer now is from May to the end of September and which is and I is think that's a lovely thing because Absolutely, teachers can yeah. tend yeah. to live very much by the calendar did Absolutely. either of your own children choose teaching not yet, not yet? Not I'm yet. saying that not yet because I have uh, I have, as far as I'm concerned, two born teachers in the house, but the last thing they want to do is do what their father did at the moment. Well, they may change their minds or that. And congrats on the the grandchild that's on the way, please Ah, God. That would be a very exciting addition. That might keep you busy, I tell you. Well, yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get it. The running buggy is part of the deal, so if there's there's ones in the Castle Park involved, then uh, uh, then we'll... we'll, uh, But no, look, it's a new stage in life, and... I think the two of us still feel that we're 21 and we're way too young for this stuff. But, you know, it, it, this, it's Here great. It comes. But, but also we have to remember that I think our, our, when, our, when Fionn was born, uh, we were four years younger than he is now. Um, but, of course, that was back in the, the 70s and the 80s when we all married in our early 20s. Yes. And uh, uh, people in their 20s and 30s look at us now and said, you were what? <laughs> anyway, it's it's uh, a different time. I think people will be looking out for you, Sean, running in the park with a dog in one hand, pushing <laughs> the buggy. No, I won't have both. It'll be one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> or the other. We have to talk about Sunday. So how do you think, how, how, how are your confidence levels? Well, I suppose there's been two Sundays and I was away last Sunday watching the match in GA go, having been given out about GA go for a long time and I got it for, for the team and in particular for Hugh Lawler, Hugh Lawler, uh, who was a wonderful past pupil of the Gales Club and, and, uh, and for Derek and for all the team. And, you know, I know people, my own club is the village, but I know lads from the other clubs that are involved and I would love to have seen them pull it off. But they lost to a, a phenomenal Limerick team. We're hoping that the Dubs aren't going to be back to their old power game like we saw from Limerick the last day. But I'm quietly confident. I think we are slightly better team than we were last year. I think our mid- midfield has settled down. I think Dermot O'Connor and, and uh, Jack Barry in midfield from the Gale and Tralee are serious, two serious footballers. I think the Dubs might be underestimating them a bit in midfield. Are. I hope they are. And, um, you know, I, I, I think, obviously, look, we have... 
I've been watching really special footballers from the Mikko de Ward that you talked about, who I saw at the very end of his days, through people like um, Morris Fitzgerald and Jack O'Shea um, and Colin Cooper and you know other phenomenal footballers. I have never seen a footballer like David Clifford, and I don't think that the Gaelic football world has seen a footballer like David Clifford. Uh, so a lot will depend on what the Dubs do if they. But but you know he played badly in the semi final against Derry, or he didn't have it, it, his best of days. And the other five forwards stood up and took over from him. So I'm hoping that, that Jack O'Connor, who you know is in a very unique place, he's managing Kerry. He's on his third stint as Kerry manager, and in both of the other stints, he's won all Ireland. So you know, I I have great. He's he's also a neighbour of mine from my parish and a, a former teacher of mine, and somebody I played football against who wasn't easy to play against. <laughs> but um, he, you know, I I'm hopeful that that we'll do it on Sunday and that that uh, that we'll be able to hold our heads up. It's a terrible thing to say, but an awful lot of our footballers have eight All-Ireland medals. They don't particularly want to lose that title to three dubs who could be winning nine All-Ireland medals on Sunday. So these things are important, a bit like Kilkenny trying to stop the, the Limerick four in a row on, on Sunday. It didn't quite work out, but those things are important to footballers too. So you never know. We'll but to go back to Clifford for a second, it is a huge, a very revered player, gets yeah. incredible and justified applauded. Yeah. But it is a lot of pressure on someone like that when they have an off day like they do in the semis. Yeah. It's tricky, isn't it, for that person? It is, and he's had a very challenging year. You know, I mean, himself and Paddy lost their wonderful mother earlier in the year. Uh, who had battled with him for quite a while. I actually come from the next parish to their dad. Their dad is, is from Castle Cove um, in the, the, the Sneem Derrynan parish, as they call it, just around the ring. Um, and I would know his dad and his uncles. They also lost an uncle a number of years ago. So they've had challenging times. But, you know, he's he's a great role model of a young lad. I mean, I saw the, the, the championship game against Lowood in Leash. I travelled up and... David was brought off early, partially because of the fact that his mum had passed away a few weeks earlier, but there were literally hundreds of kids just hanging out. They literally descended from the stand in Port Leash, and the guards literally had to walk him through to the dressing rooms. Um, and, you know, we, I, we haven't seen that, and, you know, you see him and you see the rest of the team uh, spending half an hour, 40 minutes out signing autographs and Which stuff is for super. kids afterwards. It's Are you travelling on Sunday? Travelling on Sunday, really looking forward to it. The jersey is in is in the washing machine and well, we're, we're, we're good to go, hopefully. Enjoy it and may we're the best good. team in yeah. and, and have a great day. Thank you so much for coming in today, Sean, Thanks to tell us about and we, yeah, yeah. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. 400 euros still up for grabs in our ID buzz. We're giving you the chance with thanks to La Hearts who are highlighting the range of electric vehicles to identify this sound and win the money. Here it is. The Volkswagen ID sound on KCLR with thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahearts.ie. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahearts.ie. That's the sound. So if you think you know what it is, text us in and you might just be 400 euro the richer for it. 083 306 9696. Thanks, Ashling. I was laughing yesterday when I left the studio because. It was actually roasting. I was surprised that it was 19. It was really hot It was very warm. I even, when I left as well, like I find in the morning when I'm coming in so early, I don't know what to wear because I don't know what way the weather will go, even though 
I think we can kind of guess that it's going to be rainy um, considering the last few weeks of horrible weather we've had but I was walking to the bus stop and I was absolutely sweating I was way too warm so I think it was 21 degrees by one o'clock yesterday It was and it was heavy heavy yeah. kind of we'll get mm-hmm. Alan Wally will be telling us shortly exactly what's in store for the rest of the weekend Thanks a million Ashling. Keep your positive pets Snaps coming in, they're fabulous and we're really enjoying them here. You can send them to 083 306 9696. With thanks to Oaklands, we have a 50 euro all for one voucher up for grabs, so keep those coming in. Alan, good morning. Morning, Nuna, how are you? Not too bad. I was, I was just saying there, as you probably heard, that it was really heavy yesterday afternoon, a little bit cooler this morning, but what's in store for the weekend, Alan? Yes, indeed, it was a nice bit of temperature yesterday, up to 23 degrees. But it's it's a bit all over the place, unfortunately. I was tweeting this morning a picture of blue skies after a shower had just dropped. So it's still mixed. But the good news for Karen Kilkenny, very small chance of a shower this afternoon. Now, there is a chance of a shower, but it'll only be the shower. Um, it will cloud in, cloud will increase in the afternoon, but then improve again for the evening. Tomorrow, Saturday, is the best day of the weekend for outdoor plans. Uh, Good sunny spells. There's a chance of a shower, but again, it's only a small chance of a shower. Only kind of downside Saturday, really, is the wind. It will become very breezy, um, especially later on Saturday. The wind will increase, so it'll be very gusty. um, but, But largely dry and sunny spells. Sunday will start off okay, but it'll deteriorate quite quickly with cloud and rain and some heavy showers and quite uncertain how much rain we'd actually see but we could see 5 to 10 millimetres of rain again on Sunday so not the best of days on Sunday I'm afraid um, but the wind won't be as strong I suppose if you're looking for a positive and then as we head into next week it's staying unsettled but maybe not quite as wet Monday and Tuesday just showers so it's just this kind of showery uh, regime really a lot of uncertainty around Wednesday and Thursday with a risk of a low pressure that could bring heavier rain. I'm hoping we'll miss it, but something to keep an eye out for. And um, no sign of any real heat. I know yesterday was kind of a little teaser of what we can get, but while Wednesday could see a very small kind of short increase in temperatures, we look to have an orderly airflow um, then for the rest of next week, which will actually bring us cool of air. So hard to see us getting above 20 degrees many days, but we will get up to 19 degrees. Okay, so the picture is is pretty positive overall, but if we're barbecuing, it sounds like Saturday is the way to do that. It's a day to do that rather rather than um, Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Any outdoor plans that you have a choice between Saturday and Sunday, go with Saturday, but just be wary of the breeze. That's the only thing. And um, yeah, lots of uncertainty, as I say, beyond Wednesday. It's something to keep an eye on, just a little bit far out yet, but is next weekend, which is obviously um, the bank holiday weekend, and there's a risk of a storm heading our way, but hopefully that will decide to head elsewhere. And then you've been kept busy because there's so much happening all around Europe with weather extremities. It, it's really quite remarkable, isn't it? This these last few weeks have been. Yeah, it, it has. It's it's you know they've had heat waves, massive thunderstorms, huge um, hail uh, falling in parts of Italy that I was tweeting videos of, and then obviously unfortunately a lot of forest fires as well. Thankfully, the the heat wave in the south of Europe has now eased off. Um, much cooler airflow has moved in, so it dropped from over forty degrees in parts of Italy to down below thirty degrees. Um, still warm, but but much more back to kind of normal temperatures for now at least. Um, but yeah, it has, it has been an extreme uh, rule of weather for for sure. 
Okay. Well, Alan, thanks a million for your expertise as always. Have a lovely weekend. Thanks, Joanna. Take care. We're moving from one Tullow man to another. We're joined on the line now by Councillor William Patton of Tullow, who's going to tell us all about the Tullow Town Plan. Good morning. Good morning and good morning to all your listeners. How are you doing? So, firstly, the, the plan was unanimously passed earlier in the week and there are various elements to it, I suppose, that are worth discussing. But if you'd like to take us through the highlights, William, that would be lovely. Well, the plan has gone through uh, a sort of a very good consultation pro- process. I, I was absolutely delighted that the people of Charlotte took to the plan and there was uh, 196 um submissions made with regard to the plan. In fact, there was over 1,200 various different issues raised throughout the plan. And I'm very grateful to the town team, the 10 members uh, who took uh, the plan and and spoke on behalf of the town. And then it was brought to the area members uh, with the full recommendation of the town team. So the the town centre first plan has been adopted unanimously by all six members and what people need to think about is this is a sort of like a vision for the future of how Tullow might look like in the town centre. Uh, there are 11 projects in total. Uh, to mention a few, I suppose the one that got most attention was the Market Square. And I think the issue there was people were seriously concerned that there was going to be a massive reduction of car parking on the, mass, um, on the Market Square, uh, a reduction from 30 car, par- car parking spaces to 12. Uh, the town team took that on board and we raised that up to 18. Uh, I know it's not what everybody would like. They'd like to see more car parking spaces, but that's just a concept at this moment in time. I think uh, the plan's a little bit like, you know, when you set out to design a house, Una, uh, yourself and your partner, you sit down, you put a couple of scribbles on a page and you start to develop it over time and finally you get what you think looks reasonable. And that's the stage we're at now at the moment. And the next stage then is to figure out, you know, what do we need drawn up in order to get planning permission? And I can absolutely guarantee you that the members of the public will get uh, an eight-week period in which to look at the plans, the actual plans that will happen in the future and have their say again on it. But there was other issues in it. Uh, The courthouse, more housing, a biodiversity walking loop, uh, riverbank uh, walks along the riverbank, uh, a water activity area, pedestrian cycles, improving lanes and alleyway access. Uh, the, the revised edition also includes uh, progress at the Captain Murphy Memorial Hall and also the town park. And all of that, and Councillor, it sounds lovely, but I suppose the question that I have is where is the money going to come from for... This comes from the uh, the Urban Regeneration Development Fund, the URDF Fund. Now, uh, your listeners might recall that Carlow Town was awarded $22 million, uh, under the U- URDF Fund earlier this year, and that, that, that's a marvellous uh, financial boost. I'm hoping we get the same type of funding for Tullow. Can you imagine how we could transform the town centre of Tullow with even €12 million Euros the type of works we could do to make it such a beautiful place, uh, you know, somewhere that attracts uh, uh, people, where, a place where people want to be, a place where people want to live, to work, to socialise, to visit. Uh, and that's what the vision of this new plan is all about. But it is backed up by the fact that there is the Urban uh, Rural Development Fund available to pay for these improvements.
So you're not concerned that the plan is more ambitious than the finances will stretch to? Well, look, being realistic out of 11 projects, even if we achieve seven of those projects, wouldn't the Tullow be transformed? And we have decided that what we really want to do is we want to get the project with the highest impact. A a lot of the projects I've mentioned are leisure uh, improvements for the people of the town. And, you know, they'll be the projects I'll be chasing first so people can see real change in the town centre that affects them and that they feel good about like the amenity changes so they can say yeah look this plan is working uh, things are coming together nicely on it and I, I have to say when I was looking at the comments and, and the town team were looking at the comments it, it was really obvious that people loved the uh, the vast majority I'd say uh, the projects two to nine the people were in favour at a ratio of eight comments in favour with one against the particular issue. It was slightly different with the market square. There was ten comments against, maybe with seven in favour, but that didn't mean to say that it was completely out of order. It just needed some restructure. But again, I want to assure people, this is a concept that allows us to apply to the URDF fund to bring funding into Tolo to do the projects we want to do to improve our town centre. What kind of timeline could we be looking at to see any of these come to fruition, do you think, Will? Well, uh, strangely enough, you mentioned that, Nicola Lawler and the town team. Nicola is the town team manager, and she's actually, uh, at the moment, drafting uh, applications for improvements in along the riverfront even now. And she has said that she, at the Tullum Municipal District, she will bring a plan to the town team and to the elected members uh, for September and we should be in a position then to say yes that's the first plan we want to go ahead with and uh, we get the part A planning out of the way so I suspect we could do very well very soon Okay well we look forward to that Councillor anything else you want to mention from the meeting I know you brought up um, a few things that were quite interesting so I'll let you maybe take your pick of what you might like to to inform our listeners about Well, uh, I think uh, the good news there was about the housing, the social housing front. Uh, We seem to have a lot of progress going on at the moment. Uh, There's 21 houses there in the Thomas Trainer Road. Uh, We're just waiting for contracts to be signed there, and we expect to start on site in September. We have Respond, the housing agency, with 49 houses on the Shalala Road. They've received their tenders, and they have actually said they hope to be on site in October of this year. And we have a further 48 houses there at Tullabeg. Uh, the enabling works have already been started and they expect to be on site on the 11th of August. So we have a total of 118 social units and we're aware of another, uh, let me see, 42 houses that have planning permissions. So 160 units in total in Tullow Town area. And that excludes Glendale. Okay. So lots happening there. You were concerned, yep. I believe, about the speed going through Ballon. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah. Um, I, as your members or probably your listeners are very well aware of the fact that I'm highly involved with the community first responders and uh, we've just set up a new mid-Carlo community first responder group and we have uh, been training for the last three weeks in Ballon National School and we have uh, 14 volunteers in training and a few other volunteers who are uh, fully qualified, they're EMTs and and they're going to join the group. So uh, it's really noticeable when you park outside Ballon National School 
and you're going to come back out even at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. It actually really surprised me, the volume of traffic going through the village to start with, and speed it appears to be going through the village. Um, I, I parked Noel's front, and I found myself reversing back and then swinging around the front so I could drive straight out. I was actually concerned coming out of the school area that if I didn't drive front out, uh, I, I could miss a car coming up because they come at such speed. Um, we raised this with the area engineer at the Tullam Municipal District meeting and he says, well, look, at uh, the road there is a national secondary road. It's it's part of uh, the remit of... Uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland so I asked him if he would write to Transport Infrastructure Ireland and ask them to do a study in Ballon Village and see what uh, improvements could be made now to me the quickest and easiest way to stop somebody from speeding is to have speed cameras in the village uh, one either side of the road and if Jim Bob wants to take his car down through the road in a speed he's going to get a lovely fine for it he might think twice the next time going through the village uh, there is no number of Gardaí that we could keep out there 24-7 watching it so I think it does have to be something like uh, a mounted speed camera to try and catch the culprits and slow them down. You mentioned first responders there Will and I wonder what your take is on the retained firefighters and that ongoing saga Oh, I'm 101% behind our retained firefighters. They have uh, a, an awful job to do. Uh, they are so dedicated to what they do. But uh, here in Tolo, like the numbers are down so uh, low that you know you literally have the same people responding all the time. You're married to the job more so than your family at this stage. Um, the guys can't plan holidays. They can't have time off. They can't, you know, I, I've even known one firefighter that actually had to cancel bringing his child to a hospital appointment because he couldn't get cover to have the time off to go to St. Luke's, which is, what, three quarters of an hour drive down the road and back. And, you know, it, it, this isn't really money. This is about, you know, the recruitment and putting more people in the station and making it attractive for them to be there so they can have um, rotated or, or scheduled time off the guys are at the pin of their collars and I'm very fearful that if we don't recruit more uh, new recruits and get them working in Tolo and in other stations across the county, the problem is it becomes questionable whether that fire station is safe to keep open because at the end of the day it's about safety of the retained firefighters and their safety comes first. Well, it, it seems it doesn't, but it should, of course. And I think that, that that sentiment is probably echoed right across the counties, as you say. Councillor William Patton, thank you so much for coming on this morning and telling us all about, in particular, the Tullow Town Plan. We can't wait to see what happens in the very near future, hopefully. Thank you very much, Una, and the best of luck to all your uh, listeners. I hope they have a lovely weekend with the weather. Alan's promises all. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie couple of texts in one not so positive the same old waffle from Big Milkmen they have every half acre taken up to avoid the regulations it's a joke we suckler farmers are being left behind three next door neighbours win from handy suckler herds to dearing 600 cows 
So that's the that's the verdict from this listener. We are delighted to be joined in the studio by our Friday panel. And today's panel is Marion Ackerman of the Centre Manager of McDonough Junction and Germanelli of Saber Kilkenny. You're both very welcome to the studio. Thank you, Thank Una. you, Una. I'm going to start with you, Marion, because it's a big weekend for you with Ladies' Day happening in Goran this weekend, tomorrow. That's right, Una. We're getting ready for the last couple of weeks for Ladies' Day, which is happening tomorrow in Goran Park. We're really excited. It's always... A fantastic day out, very sociable, very fashionable and an enjoyable day. So um, registration for any ladies that are listening and gents that are listening that would like to be registered for Best Dressed is happening out at Gorham Park between 12 and 2 tomorrow. And the first 200 will receive goodie bags from us. Uh, Lots of goodies and discounts in there from a a lot of our brands. And um, the Ladies' Day marquee is up and it looks stunning. So it's going to be a great day and with great prizes for best dressed, both ladies and gents. The ladies are up to receive the first prizes, €1,000 shopping spree at McDonough Junction and uh, stay in the beautiful Lyrath estate with breakfast and dinner. And then we have runner-up prizes. Uh, we have Best Dress Mail that's sponsored by Swan Clothing uh, this year as well. So it's going to be great fun. Do you get many entrants to the, the Best Dress Mail? We do. We do. The men come out in style. Um, not as many as the ladies, unfortunately, but there's cer- certainly a great sense of fashion amongst both men and women. And there's always a bit of fun as well. You always get a few guys who turn up dressed as ladies and that <laughs> always goes down very well as well. I remember my brother doing that many years ago and ending up on the telly. It wasn't an enjoyable moment for me, I can tell you, because he didn't make a good looking woman. Ger, are you a race scorer? Uh, very seldom. I, I, I'm not going tomorrow. Oh, no, no. Okay, and Galway, of course, next week is a big is a yeah. big one. I believe some people do the circuit; they go from race meet to race meet, and specifically for for the best dress competitions. Yeah. It's serious. Uh, it's serious prizes prizes to be grabbed across, um, I suppose, with the UK and Ireland. And yeah, the same uh, people they they take it very seriously, and they're very good at it. Um, so we're really looking forward to seeing all of the fashion. And we actually have a judge, Tanisha Gorey from Coronation Street, is joining us out at the track tomorrow as well. So we're looking forward to meeting Tanisha and seeing what she's looking for in the best dressed lady. And isn't it interesting to always to see someone you watch on telly in reality? Because I think they can look quite different, and you can get a, a real sense of the real person, which is very difficult to get from the telly. Do you know what? Ladies' Day is always so relax and we just relax and enjoy ourselves and it's um the the judges always comment on how much fun they have with us in Goran Park um at our ladies day so we've you know we've had some great judges over the years we had Lisa uh, Jordan a few years ago and she really had a blast with us so the whole idea is that you get out and you have a bit of fun um and get to know each other a bit better yeah well it sounds great great. it's a very busy time of year for you Jura is it a nice relaxing time for you well, it is because I'm I'm retired from working, so I'm I'm relaxed most of the time now. Ona, yeah. So uh, in a few months, though, we'll be we'll be well. In the, starting back in in early August, we're going back full belt again. Oh, so you start we, gearing we, up in August. Well, we have already spent some time earlier in the summer, and there's a little bit of a break at the moment. But um, a lot of it has been planned already, which you will see on the website if you look it up on savertokenny.com. So we can get a sneak a sneak peek at what's to offer. I don't know were you listening to Shona Hargon talking about retirement. How did you? Now it does sound like you're still very busy, mind you. But did you have a little bit of trepidation as you came toward retirement? Uh, not really, no. And uh, I was fortunate that I was out before the COVID epidemic, which really, I suppose, when I look back on it now, I was I was very lucky. Um, I took early retirement from Glanbia, so um, I was able to travel a good bit before COVID came and. Uh, 
so for that reason I'm really thrilled that I did make the decision to get out early Okay Well listen we're going to go to I suppose the biggest story of the week was the passing the very sad passing of Sinead O'Connor Did either of you see her live? Yes, uh, I saw her at Killeen Hill. It was her last performance in Kilkenny. I think it was 2019. It was before COVID struck and it was it was phenomenal. I mean, she was at the later stage of her career. Uh, that was her starting to come back out and do some live performances after going through a very turbulent time with her own mental health. And it was it was just stunningly beautiful. It was so simple. She just stood there and sang and that's all you would ever want from Sinead. You didn't need any big production. You know, her voice just was so beautiful and it was it was a very special event. A uh, small number um, of people there and everyone kind of knew each other. You know, we all walked around and spoke to each other and really enjoyed the night very very sad news isn't it's it? very sad and was she did she engage much with the audience I wasn't at that gig she but she gently engaged I would say she wasn't you know she was herself I've, she seemed very relaxed um, she didn't say a whole lot but she seemed to be in good mental health and in good form so but she in saying that she didn't say a whole, a whole lot but she sang so well and and for a long time you know she gave us everything uh, all the favourites and 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 the, the new stuff and and the older stuff, which was brilliant. The big numbers. There was a lot of coverage yesterday afternoon about on on the general media and also on social media about how she wasn't treated very well always by the the media. So it 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 was a sad, I think, reflection on on some of the things that had gone on and how she had been reported on occasion and a really sad day, as you say. Yeah, but the media are guilty of that. Um, you know, you see that with current celebrities going through media scandals. Um, the media will hook onto something. Well, not all media, but they'll hook onto something that's not positive or normal in inverted commas um, to sell headlines. And uh, that is it's the saddest part of, of the business. And she certainly was unusual and different and outspoken from from the get go. I mean, you know, and had a very turbulent upbringing, which I suppose re- was reflected in her own life. But she brought so much to Ireland. I mean, she was talking about things way before anyone else was. She was visionary. And uh, I think the vast majority of people had great love for her. The media obviously hooked onto this, this, this the stuff that was unusual and, and, and probably negative. Uh, but the vast majority of people had the utmost of respect for her and her skill and her art. Um, and there was a lot of love for Sinead O'Connor. Well, there was an outpouring of that gesture, and it's fair to say that. Yeah, I, I think I, I didn't realise the depth of her hurt until reading some of the media pieces yesterday. For example, her mother, the treatment of her, and uh, and yet when her mother was killed in a car crash, she was heartbroken. Sinead was. So, you know, I suppose I didn't really get into the detail of what her traumatic experience had been until reading a bit about it in the last few days. So I realise now where her real anger was coming from. What was nice, I think, is sometimes when you see someone die from um, because they can't cope with this life, and it's only then that they that people come forward to say, "Oh, we loved her." And you know, if you take maybe Caroline Flack for example, she didn't know how much she was adored and loved until after her passing. But I think because Sinead had been so open with all of us about her mental health, and she, you know, we saw her kind of streaming online from America last year talking about her struggle. Uh, actually it wasn't last year a couple of years ago and that kind of led to her Dr Phil interview which is being broadcast now a lot but 
it kind of sh- it, there was a huge outpouring of love for Sinead in the last 10 years and people were openly reaching out to her and saying you know feel better and so it's kind of nice that she felt that love before she has passed away it's not just now do you know that has been coming at her in waves in the last 10 years well, we hope but it wasn't did, enough obviously we will see our yesterday Garanam and we will move on Jer, to stories that caught your eye this week I think one in particular you wanted to, to bring up yeah there was uh, just one this morning on, on, on the Irish Times which I think is a human interest story um, I suppose it shows um, really I suppose it's a story of resilience uh, when there's no choice in the matter it's on page 6 with Freya Clemens uh, writing about McLaughlin's a hardware store it's it's on William Street in Derry on the edge of the bog site on a place called Agro Corner which it is an, in, a name that was given to it um, I suppose if it's it's 110 years uh, in operation and they are closing it and selling it as a going concern which is you know funny in a way because they're hoping that somebody will take it on and buy it now which is great to see Is this the Three Brothers? The three Brothers yes, yes. and um, you know the, this, the shop has survived partition the troubles and Covid and you know, if you could imagine the conversations that were in there, I mean, it was burned three times. They were using a prefab for a while. It was bombed once. And, you know, the father of these three lads and their uncle was running it. And the father just said that people were so good and that they saw us through the bad times and they were so loyal to us. So, you know, it's really, I suppose, shows you the best in people from the point of view of, of community and through all hard times. And, um, for example, their mother and their aunt died during the Troubles as well and not from the Troubles but they died during that period so then they were just it was funny they were saying that three others run it and it's great to have three because uh, you know whatever two says goes (laughs) (laughs) it's better than having two people involved so now they have a museum on the first floor with photos including army tanks and the rubble on the streets and all that sort of stuff so that's there and in fact in 2013 when it was 100 um, an Oscar nominee called Dave Duggan did a, a play there, a performance there uh, in in the shop. So it was just sad they were saying that a couple of ladies have come in during the week and their tears in their eyes because of naturally what a you know what a, what a history and and the place it is. So I just felt that the, a few lovely photos of the shop as well and and the hardware shop, the real old hardware shop, and the two lads like identically, nearly looking identical to each other, standing behind the counter. So I just thought it was a nice story. It's a lovely story. As well, as well put together this morning and lovely photographs as well. So much more than a shop, by the sounds of things, steeped in history and phenomenally phenomenally interesting stories. But isn't it sad as well, though, Jerry, to see businesses like that? That who, which will possibly just that that could be the end for that business. More than likely, um, I suppose in in the nature of what it is, um, they were trying to be all things to all people, and probably people in that area, you know, weren't travelling too far to get stuff, and I'm sure they got everything that people needed, and that's I suppose again, as I say, because of the nature of the place and the resilience that they had, and it's just nice I think to see that story on the paper this morning because we're aware of all the macro stories and the global stories and we can read through pages and pages of of the same thing every day being regurgitated and that but it's just nice to see a story like that written down I agree although I wonder about the the three being the perfect number I would have a fear this is my cynical side sneaking in again that the two would always gang up on the one and and not that the two wouldn't necessarily be the same two but there's always potential I guess for a little bit of wheeling and dealing in the background Well I think if it's there 110 years 
it's still the test of time. They obviously have managed they uh, certainly good, did. good times and bad. So, they certainly did. Know, have either of you had, a, had an experience, any experience rather, of working with family? Um, I suppose, yeah. Well, I, I was born in a, in, in a, on a small farm and a shop. So, yeah, we worked with family from the point of view of uh, everybody had to do everything and be there and there was no questions asked. You just got up and did whatever you had to do. And so you got on with the job. Got on with it, yeah. So that was it. And Marion? Yeah, um, I would have farmed on my uncle's farms as a, as a very young child. I think I was on a, driving a tractor at seven at one stage. Um, and like that, all hands on deck was the... Was the <laughs> What's the saying in our in our families uh, growing up? We used to come down from we were like the the city cousins, and we used to go down to 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 Wicklow. My uncle had an organic farm, so it was very labour intensive. So when the three kids would arrive, um, we'd we'd be fed and then sent straight out to the fields. So wonderful memories, of course. Um, but he was a hard taskmaster. Master, uh, but it was it was wonderful. It sounds like all hands were on deck. If you were out there at the age of seven and and put onto the tractor and and told off you go, yeah, no, they were they were around me. I, we were ploughing a field with hand ploughs and the the old style tractors being used to, to to drive the ploughs. And I think they were short a, a person, and I was wasn't big enough to stand behind the plough, so I was put up onto <laughs> the onto the tractor, and I was told to drive in a straight line and stop when I got to the top of the field, and then. My uncle would run up, jump, turn me around and off we would go again. Yeah. You were learning a lot of skills there, very valuable life skills. <laughs> if only you knew it, Marion. Well, we were the same because we uh, I milked two cows before I went to school in the morning as well. Um, very you? young. Yeah, that was the way it was. I mean, you know, just that was life then, you know, when it was hand milking or whatever. That was it. Yeah. But it's just not easy, though. Actually, you, At four you, or five you, years of age. Well, not that. Well, probably, you know, it's maybe seven on or whatever. But mm. I mean, that's what you did. The Indeed. backbone of Ireland. Yes, yes. <laughs> these I'm going to farms. take a little break, but we'll come back afterwards with a story from Marion. Now, if you're missing a drone, we might be able to help you out with that. A listener emailed us to say that a drone was dropped into her garden yesterday evening at about eight o'clock, and that's in Gregnamana in Carlos. So, if if you're missing a drone, get in touch, and we'll we'll sort you out. Uh, tomorrow's a big day, of course. We have lots going on out in Goran Race Park. We have Eddie Hughes bringing you Saturday brunch from uh, Ladies' Day. So the crack, I'd say, and the style will be only mighty. We're here with Marion Ackerman of McDonough Junction and Jeremy Lally of Saver Kilkenny. I never asked you, Marion, had you your guna picked for tomorrow? Oh, I do, of course. And a uh, hat is picked. And I'm trying to figure out how long I can wear a pair of heels for. That, that's not something I do very often now. So we'll have the flat shoes. I think necessary. I think COVID sort of took our heel wearing ability away a little bit. Well, for oh, me, sure. certainly. Are we bonkers? Like, we shouldn't be in high heels. What are we thinking? Just be comfortable and enjoy ourselves. Life's too short for painful shoes. It's too short for painful shoes. Okay. Sometimes it just, it calls to them. Jer, how lucky are you that you never have to worry about the pain that heels inflicts on us? No, but I would agree with Marion. Yeah, I, I think, you know, life is too short for going around in an uncomfortable way. Um, all through events. So certainly having a second pair of shoes is, is uh, absolutely, absolutely correct. <laughs> Marion, what jumped out at you from the papers this morning or during the week? Yeah, like Jara said, a lot of the same old, same old, the negative stuff and the economic stuff. But a nice uh, piece in the Irish Daily Mail about a lady called Jane Murray, who um, at 11 um, started to follow the circus. They pulled up alongside her home in Tala in Dublin and um, she um, became friends with the Fawcett family and 
um, in fifth year then left school to join the circus and go and work with them um, that went uh, on she became a trapeze artist and a ringmaster and now she took she got married to a, a very one traditional Irish musician who subsequently died she went back to college then and uh, is studying in Maynooth but she has uh, started um an, an Irish contemporary circus um, delivered through Irish. It's called Circus Le Cree and it's taking place in Galway um, in August, the 1st to the 13th. And everything in the circus is delivered through Irish, Irish tr- traditional music um, and, and, and music composed by um, some of the people in the RTE Concert Orchestra. Um, so that looks wonderful and she's done a lot of pop-up circus events and maybe Jerry will be familiar but she she uh, performed in Winterville um, as well it's telling us in this article so wouldn't it be wonderful to have her here in Kilkenny uh, it wouldn't certainly would fit in with a lot of our festival um, themes so good how innovative her. that is and I think I'm sure her parents were not thrilled when she dropped out of school in fifth year to go and join the circus but everyone finds their path don't they she went back to college when she was good and ready and I think there's a lot to be said for that That's right. isn't it wonderful that people are so proud of Irish now that they're actually really delving into what you can do through Irish which is it's just great you'd be so proud of that seeing that and, and it's amazing because I, I don't think that would have looked likely if you go back maybe 40, 50 years, it would have seemed like an impossibility that you'd be conducting something like a circus, Oscar Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a lovely up, um, revival of, of the grow for Irish. Um, and I, But I think an overhaul needs to be delivered and the way it, it is actually taught in schools. You know, it was so difficult to learn the language I remember of all of the subjects I had done in school it was my least favourite and a lot of that was the mundane way in which it was delivered and, and the and the deliverables I suppose from a curriculum perspective it was it wasn't exciting at all Well I was the opposite I, I was lucky enough to have two very good teachers um, one was an old man Toby Kavanagh from Innesteeg when I was in Good Council College in Arras and the other was Timmy Kennedy in the CBS in Callan and he was superb and you loved I, it. I loved Irish it's, it's my favourite subject. Yeah, it's, it's lovely to hear somebody say that. I have heard, Marion, lots of people um, express the opinion that you just shared. But same for me, I loved, I thought Peg was one of the most beautiful things I ever read. And people give out about that a lot. But mm. it was it was a moment in time. It was a live recounting of something that you're never going to see again or a lifestyle that's, that's disappeared. Mm. And to have that there in our native tongue, I think is just amazing. Mm. I really yeah. do. We're very lucky in Ireland. We're... Fo- so many stories to be told, isn't there? You know, and so many great storytellers. History, yeah, yeah. What else jumped out at you, um, Marianne Orger? If you want to jump in, you're more than welcome to. There's a piece on global boiling. I don't know if you saw that there. The UN uh, Secretary General Antonio. I'm going to pronounce his surname wrong. I'd say Guterres has um, warned that we're not at global warming anymore. We're at global boiling. And I suppose we've seen that uh, internationally with um, certain countries, you know, really suffering from from um, heat. And we're seeing probably one of the wettest summers I remember anyway. Um, they're saying that July is the hottest July on record globally. Um, and he is warning that dramatic immediate action is needed to avoid the very worst of climate change. He's saying not too late, but we need to act now. So um, it's an interesting headline. Global boiling certainly is not an attractive sounding phenomenon. It is not, but it has those extremes of 
very, very hot, the hottest, as you say, Marion, July on record, and then the incessant rain that we seem to be having, the hailstones initially mm-hmm. during the week. It's really quite amazing, I think, what's happening, and, and it's scary. Well, we're ent- entering the El Nino effect again, and it'll be actually, they're saying it could be worse next year because it's, it's the second year of it that you see the more weather, uh, you know, drastic weather sort of patterns. So that's, you know, it, it's it's a reality, and you know, action has to be taken. Mm-hmm. And locally, I mean, we've, we've seen the town flood recently in the, the last two months. Uh, John Street was flooded in the middle of the summer. You know, we have, we're, we're built in a way that has 100 year storm drains and those drains are filling and overflowing in the shopping centre. We saw, you know, I think it was Duns and Tralee, the roof started to fall in because of the, the rainfall. I mean, we're not, we haven't been, we're not prepared for these, you know, very excessive weather events and they're becoming more and more frequent. We've seen it ourselves, you know, it's it's very unusual, unprecedented weather. It's very conditions. challenging. We're, we're getting better, I think, at expecting the unexpected because we have to. We surely do have to, yeah. Um, but something will have to be done because, I mean, it's, uh, it's damaging everything. I, I don't know how the farming community are facing uh, into all this wet weather, whether it's a well, It's very, very difficult. This this July, Ju- June was a good month, but July is really difficult. Unfortunately, people in, in crops uh, where you would expect that winter barley, for example, sown in the autumn, would be getting lovely long days, dry days for harvesting. It's been a washout, so uh, it's really tough because also the price is going to be back this year and uh, you know farmers get one good year and everybody is saying you know they're really well off and they're doing well but you know you're open open completely to the environment it's one of the few industries that's totally open to weather and you know nothing can be done they just have to wait for an hour or two like the other night people were cutting through the night because they had to get out the few hours they got so it's just a difficult difficult year and uh it takes the good that last year provided. It's And it's so challenging. You're trying to plan. Planning is so difficult, as you say, Ger, and really stressful when you can't do what you need to do in a timely manner. I can't imagine that pressure, to be quite honest with you. I guess for, well, for, for, for you to an extent, Marion, but certainly for you Ger, with, with, with Savour, it can really change the atmosphere of the festival, can't it, if the weather doesn't play ball? Of course, any festival or outdoor event is, is dependent on it. And we've seen that with some of the festivals this year already. And uh, yeah, so look at, um, I suppose in October, people are more prepared for weather that might be cold or a little bit wet. So um, yeah, we have hopefully facilities that people can step in. And can it hasn't affected the crowds anyway. Mm-hmm. We've got great numbers every year, up to 50,000 attending in the last couple of years. So, you know, I think people know uh, if they can look at all their little apps and see when what they need to wear going to something like that at, at least. So they need a raincoat and, and, and a smock. Yes. Maureen, what about you? What effect do you see in McDonough when the weather is good or bad or does it does it affect your trade very yeah, directly? It, it does and actually some of the newspapers there are reporting you know the upturn in, in retail sales and uh, the positive footfall um, move in uh, retail as opposed to online which is uh, positive for our business but um we we actually we've become very busy, uh, very nicely busy since um, in the last twelve months. Um, a kind of a marked increase in the amount of people that are supporting the business, which is really great. Uh, I suppose after the few years of COVID, there's a great buzz around the city, and uh, we're we're seeing that as well with visitors and locals. But yeah, wet weather for us is uh, a little. Well, we we like the medium, the medium wet, not the fully soaking wet wherever. <laughs> 
where we're having problems. But yeah, the medium wet days for us, the soft Irish days are, are great for business because, you know, people are all about convenience now. And I've recently just done a study on parking anxiety, actually in multi-story car parks. And a lot of the research points to, you know, convenience and uh, female shoppers and older shoppers seeking, you know, a nice place to go. Convenience, white spaces, well lit, feeling safe, you know, in, out of the elements. So, yeah, we're ticking all of those boxes and hopefully delivering good service alongside it. Uh, there's great things to be had in the shops at the minute across across it, both in McDonough and, and across the city. So we're, we're blessed in Kilkenny. We're very fortunate. Do you think the dreaded C word, but do you think things have come back to normal post-COVID? Yes, I do, uh, luckily. Um, and actually better than normal. I think people, um, I think it has taught us an awful lot about... Um, what's valuable you know the human contact the social side our families our friends getting back together meeting people um so yeah i do feel we're 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 definitely it definitely feels back to normal and we're having fun again which is brilliant you know we love the fun Ger, what about you do you feel life has returned to normal ah yes i think it has yeah people are i I think have they've also re-looked at their values and what's important in life and you know the the working from home for part of the week is institutionalized now and it's brilliant that employers are working around that and it's it's just it's it's it has improved i think the outlook for employment uh, in in how people perceive what do i need to do and an employer what they need to do now to make sure people are happy because there are you know we're very low sort of unemployment levels now and there's a big challenge there for companies to keep people and you know i suppose that raises the bar for everybody I hope that that can sustain itself because I do feel just anecdotally anecdotally that companies are getting a little bit more, okay, we'll draw the line under the the hybrid working or the working from home. And I'm hoping that won't creep in and that we will sustain that idea that, you know what, we can do things a little bit better. You see, there was never a chance to evaluate it. People could say what they like but it was only an opinion but the evaluation was possible over two years to see to measure performance and once performance was measurable and it didn't drop well then the employee can prove that um, the, the company is getting value for employing them so I think that's really has helped everybody just to, to settle down on this and look at it as a format from forward Okay Would you share that view Ryan, yeah, I'm not. So, I'm not so sure it's a blanket acceptance that it's a better thing. I think some companies look at it that way and are seeing the results of that. And I think other companies, and I know from talking, we have two office blocks and we have a lot of uh, office tenants. And from talking to some of the directors and owners of those businesses, they find it difficult because they have people working for them that they they actually don't know the person very well or how they're performing and then conversely for the employees for the star performers and the people that want to you know accelerate their career and they're 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 progressive it's hard to show your work and your potential I suppose when you're not meeting the person that you're working for and with and then there's that whole shared experience you know you're not you're not learning from people in the business that have been there for years before you so that there's a little bit of a loss from that perspective it's an interesting one it's not something I was ever uh, privy to working from home in the service industry but um, it's something I watch with interest because I'm not sure it will stay as predominant as it is now I think we will kind of start to migrate back into workspaces 
a little bit more than we are now. What I do like, though, is that whole striving for work-life balance and corporations who, you know, actively say this is what we're doing to promote our employees' mental health. That was never talked about before. That was never one of their deliverables. So isn't that wonderful? It is. It is. And not just tokenistically, like a real effort to recognise that if your work is unhappy, you're not happy. And that is the bottom line. It's great. Long may it continue. Indeed. Well, we, we, we watch and learn because we are learning on the fly here, aren't we? It is very much a new model. It has been lovely to catch up with you both, Ger. We wish you luck as you face into a very busy period and we can't wait for Savor in October. And Marion, the best of luck to you tomorrow. Are you going to have a little flutter? Yeah, I'm going to have a little flutter. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy all all the elements of the races tomorrow that I that I can, and hopefully the rain will stay away. But if it doesn't, we'll still have a great day. So we'd encourage everyone to come out and visit. Absolutely, we would, and we we will be sending Anne Murphy your way because she's won our tickets for Ladies' Day, and we hope you have a blast. Alan O'Reilly says just light chance of of a little bit of a shower, so I think you're good to go. We can live with that, and I hope you have a great day at the races tomorrow. Jaron Marion, thank you very much. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. Welcome back to KCLR Live. John Keane is coming up at 12 o'clock and he has, of course, the grand final of the Thinking in the Shower competition today. He'll be out in Erlingford from 12 with Emerald Tiles and Bathrooms and one of our lucky listeners is going to win that €5,000 bathroom makeover. So that's going to be an exciting afternoon. We also have a winner for Positive Pets, the cutest. I'm not sure what the breed is here, but the most adorable little doggy, Susie. Tara, any idea what that is, that breed? It's a King Charles, Tara is telling me. Susie apparently enjoys walks along the River Barrow and she is just adorable. So congratulations, Susie, and congratulations, Carlon. You're our winner of the Positive Pets today. We um, have loved your company. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to say a huge thanks to Tara, who's a tech whiz here with me, and to Ethna, of course, for lining up such a great show as always. If you've missed anything, please listen back on KCLR Live at kclr96fm.com. We love your comments, your stories and your news. Thank you for your company. We will see you next week and we will see Sloan for now.